Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. And Daryl Etherington could not be with us this week. We're actually not sure. He was supposed <laughs> to be here. He may show up. We don't know. Maybe he's sleeping in. Yeah, we'll see if he uh, listens to this episode and knows that we call Super him Super responsible guy, though. <laughs> yeah, he's he's an interesting mix of very responsible on some things and not very responsible on others. No, this is the time. If there's ever a time to shit on him, it's right now. So <laughs> he just sucks. Wow. <laughs> um, Daryl, wherever you are, I'm I'm sure it was worth skipping this review. Watch of... it be like really serious and then I'm an asshole. Maybe he had a serious emergency that made it so he couldn't text us. The good news is this isn't going out for a couple of days. So if it turns out to have been really serious, this will all be edited out of the episode. Perfect. If it's in the episode, that means that he did not have a good excuse. That means he is an asshole. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are going to review The Diplomat on Netflix, a new show starring Carrie Russell. And Jordan, I know you actually watched this and mentioned it on the, you know, on an earlier episode. I watched it basically immediately when it came out. It was like promoted pretty heavily to me. I'm not really sure why. Maybe like my House of Cards and the Americans vibes were plugged into the algo. I have no idea, but um, big Carrie Russell fan. I think she's just like fucking awesome. And I didn't really know if this was supposed to be like super serious, like all the way up in the House of Cards realm, or if it was supposed to be like kitschy West Wing-esque vibes. I wasn't really sure where it wanted to be in the world. So you know what it kind kind of like reminds me of is uh, Weeds in terms of like tone, mm. where it like has kind of this like dry humor, rom-com kind of like filter over like more of a drama yeah. leaning almost into thriller. I mean, I guess we... Beats doesn't really have like thriller vibes, but um, yeah. And so I just, I like was pretty voracious with it. It's like not prestige television, but it's like <laughs> super fun to watch. I think. I mean, it has a lot of the trappings of prestige television. I mean, just the fact that Carrie Russell is in it um, mm -hmm. and it, I think, I think house of cards feels like a good comparison too, because it, it similar to that first season of House of Cards, it feels like at first it's like very serious and realistic. And then over the course of the season, kind of the craziness of the plotting, the kind of like heightened nature of it kind of like ratchets up until like you're it feels like you're pretty far from from reality and not in a bad way, but just like at first I thought this was like a kind of going to be a, a fairly realistic look at um being a diplomat foreign policy and then i mean it definitely doesn't it's not like there's like spaceships or doesn't turn into like jason Bourne, but it, like it gets closer to jason Bourne territory than i might have expected in in the first episode yeah i think the pacing is um like i think house of cards showed even though house of cards even through the first season and then certainly through the series kind of gets into pretty unrealistic territory they showed more restraint with their pacing and they're kind of like ratcheting up the surrealism mm -hmm. than this show did like this show kind of 
starts <laughs> from a place of like, what? I mean, I read like a Slate review that was like, I was asked to consult because I guess this is like a foreign policy reporter. It was like, I was asked to consult on the diplomat and like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, just from a premise perspective of like the ambassador to Great Britain is often not like a pro an actual diplomat, not They're a often diplomat. a donor, yeah, or a politician, or you know, a buddy buddy with the president, right? Because it's, I think, essentially, it's not considered to be a super high stakes role. Yeah, exactly. And it's like it's the thing about it is it's like, and and I guess the show does kind of an okay job of this, but that role is supposed to be take a lot of pictures, shake a lot of hands, kiss a lot of babies. And just make sure that the UK and the US maintain their special relationship. In other words, the person who's in that role should probably also have a special relationship with the president mm -hmm. to be connective in a way that's meaningful. And um, they kind of address that in that, like, she doesn't like to take photos and she doesn't <laughs> like to go to, you know, balls with a gown on and she doesn't, you know, like, so they kind of nod to that a little bit. But then, like, why did it happen? this way you know so yeah the the premise I, th I think we can pretty much get into it without spoiling anything um is that uh the carrie russell's character um is about to become the ambassador to uh afghanistan is that right um uh yeah but she's going to kabul right so that's kabul. yeah yeah afghanistan yes um and but but then basically she is assigned because she's in, former CIA, right? And she's also married to a diplomat played by Rufus Sewell, and who is also like this very kind of like big deal, um, yeah, diplomat big character, yeah. And and I sort of like I think you get the sense that she's been doing a lot of the work, but he kind of sucks up a lot of the oxygen in the room. But he's on the outs with the Secretary of State. Um, and so she kind of is like in the first few minutes reassigned to as the ambassador to the UK. And she's like, what the fuck? Fuck this. Like she was ready to put on her fatigues and go like to a proper like hatcheted down embassy and like, you know, foster peace in the Middle East and do she like is passionate about the uh, the actual work of diplomacy and not the like um, performative work of diplomacy, right? <laughs> right, and I think that um, what also prompts this uh, is that uh, basically like a, this UK ship is- Like a British naval ship is, yes. had, has been bombed. Right, and so fairly early on, um, a lot of the suspicion falls on the Iranian military. And so- um, part of what ends up being a, the, the role ends up being a lot more important than than she maybe thought at first or than it normally is because it's like suddenly trying to diffuse this really high stakes confrontation with uh, between the UK and Iran and, and the US sort of involved as well. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, there's like a couple different threads. There's the thread of her and her husband and kind of their They have a pretty complex, given the fact that this show, I don't think rose to the level that it, I don't know if it wanted to, 
You know, like I, I, I can't tell if it wanted to rise to a level or if it wanted to be more of a cliffhanger bingeable thing. Um, if it wanted to be prestige television, it didn't quite rise to that level. But the relationship between the husband and the wife, between Carrie and Rufus, was written in a pretty complex way. I think that's like a pretty dynamic relationship with a lot of layers to it. And so, like, I guess kudos to that. Yeah, I think that's probably the strongest part of the show. I mean, maybe the biggest accomplishment is just the fact that it's like incredibly watchable. Like it is, even as it gets more and more ridiculous, um, and I don't even mean ridiculous in a bad way, just in a way where it's just, there's more and more twists and turns. Um, you, I was just still like totally in it, even as I was like, mm, wow, this is like becoming a very different show from what I thought it was going to be. And but the other thing is, I think, yeah, probably the, the the most memorable thing, the most impressive thing, is is the uh, the relationship between the couple. And and I mean, I think that sort of starts from early on. You can tell that there's like this tension between them, but they also have this intimacy and this sense that the two of them know each other better than anyone else in the world. Yeah, it is, and it, I mean, a lot of that is owed not only to the writing, which I think stands up in this regard, but also just to those are two fantastic um, actors, and they're they're working it. So I thought all of that was was good. By the way, I, I should just interject and point out that um, we now know what happened to Daryl Etherington, which is that he had yesterday off and forgot that we were recording and so was in his car when we started recording. Yeah, I let him know that we don't have to edit anything out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but anyway, no one has to be alarmed for Daryl's sake, except that he should He's... feel bad for himself. Yeah, alarmed for his safety based on our retaliation. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Carrie Ru Russell and, and Rufus Sewell, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing his name correctly, um, but both of them are just very good. And um, that to me is like, I mean, well, the other thing I take, I, I really took away from it was um, the character of uh, Denison, the UK foreign secretary, less because he's like a fully formed complex character, but just because that actor, uh, David Gyasi, just like has incredible charisma and like incredible chemistry with Carrie Russell. And so I was just always happy when the two of them were on screen. And he looks yeah, great same. in a suit. He does look really good in a suit. And they did, they had fantastic chemistry and it really like just adds again to the complexity of the relationship between Carrie and Rufus because you have this like foil to Rufus in a lot of ways um mm -hmm. that kind of like takes her super seriously but also shrugs her off or maybe performatively shrugs her off and like yeah there's a lot happening there and then also the chief of staff or I don't know if he's chief of staff but the deputy ambassador or whatever it is but right uh deputy chief of mission yeah that was a which was her role for her husband when he was a diplomat mm -hmm. um and that was an interesting one too because there's a ton of intimacy involved in that relationship which is less obviously sexual in nature but is kind of like it definitely pulls at the the heartstrings a little bit to watch them interact because it's there's a lot of like just commitment and loyalty that he has to this person that he basically just met. But it's like, there's something that I, I rarely brim with national pride. Um, but 
there's something about these like lifer, um, I don't know, officials, right? I guess right. you'd call them public servants. Like, if you're being, yeah, public servants who just like give their life basically to the country that is like, and I know this is like a fictional character and all of the, all of those things, but there's something special about it, right? Like he just met her. He was like pretty weary of her. And then was like, okay, my job is to basically just like serve you and make sure you're good and okay. And I'm doing my job. Right. Although he also, and, and I, again, I, I think this is basically revealed right away is that not only is he her deputy chief of mission, but his job is also to scope her out and see if she's ready for higher office as well. Yeah. It might be time to get into spoilers. It's kind of hard to talk through <laughs> any of this show without it, but do you have like, would you recommend people watch this if they're going to dip out for spoilers? Yeah, I, I recommend it. I think it's definitely a, um, so I know the creator, she worked on uh, Homeland, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is like, very I good show. the first 1.5 seasons. And yeah. Yeah, it was, it was good. And and then also worked on the West Wing. And I definitely think there's some parallels to the West Wing as well, where it's sort of like, you know, um, glamorizing this kind of government work, which is, I think, fair enough. I mean, I you know, I, I think some people are a little bit skeptical of it for that reason. And, and, and I think some of that skepticism is earned. But... Um, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Real, real world world diplomats do deserve to have like their, their time in the Hollywood spotlight. And this is an extremely Hollywood show in a lot of ways, but the cast is really good. It's really fun. The core relationship is, is really compelling. And I think once you get started, it's, it's, it's really difficult to, uh, to stop watching. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Homeland and it, Actually, I feel like this, if you've seen Homeland and The West Wing, I would say this sits almost directly in between the two of them. Because like, I don't really remember a moment of like levity in Homeland at all. Mm. Um, and I don't remember anything feeling all that serious in West Wing. <laughs> and this somehow finds a way to kind of like straddle both of them pretty nicely. So uh, yeah, and and I agree. I mean, I think... I think at the even if you're a complete cynic on kind of these like political shows that kind of like turn them into thrillers and and ratchet up the um surrealism it's like easy and fun to watch and it doesn't make you feel like a shithead after watching it either like you're kind of like ah oh, I was a little cheese but like for the most part it's just like easy and fun and and it leaves you kind of on the edge of your seat. They do a fantastic job with cliffhangers pretty much every single episode um, that makes you just want to like, you know, autoplay to the next one. So I recommend it. Yeah, I I think there are some, there have been some more kind of pointed critiques of the, the kind of political message of the show, which we can get into spoilers. But I would say that I think overall, I, I do recommend it. So if you have not seen the first season, of the diplomat and you don't want to know what happens you should stop listening now i mean i think one thing before spoilers actually i mean if you're gone you're gone but like what did you think of the fact that it was set in basically a realistic-esque timeline like obviously 
the U.S. president is in the yeah. U.S. president, and the U.K. prime minister is in the U.K. prime minister. But like, they're referencing Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. Um, you know, they're referencing a lot of kind of like real time events, basically Brexit, etc. And so, how did you feel about? It felt very like kind of close to the bone in terms mm-hmm. of it's uh yeah it's context layer it definitely overall i i liked that if that the fact that it took place in the real world it you can tell there are times where because you know it takes more than a year to make a tv show from like you know writing to to post-production um and you can tell they're being vague about some things because they didn't know how they would turn out like the way they talk about russia and ukraine it, it seems to me very deliberately vague because they didn't know what the the status of the invasion would be when the show aired. Um, But I think they, yeah, they navigated it really well. I mean, this is a totally different comparison, but I still remember watching the first episode of the new Gossip Girl and it was like fall of 2021 and all the students are like, thank God COVID is over. And that (laughs) that didn't hold up so well. Although to be fair, I think that's actually how a lot of people, a lot of, including myself kind of felt in, in fall of 2021. And then, Omicron happened. So um, fair enough. But I think the other thing that's tough, right, is because the show eventually gets into such a fictionalized scenario, you could argue that it starts to kind of cheapen the, you know, like the real world stuff. Like, are you borrowing kind of the gravity of real world tragedies and and using that to sort of give your show like a gravitas that it doesn't really deserve. And I think there is a little bit of that. There, there are times where it feels definitely a little tasteless. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Especially since like they are comfortable with so many kind of like wackadoo things happening. Like people are, are like dying and there's like bombs going off and like, I mean, people are getting like poisoned and I, it's like in the show and yeah, I think there's an element of that that is um that feels like it it kind of cheapens like you said the fact that they're relying on like this real world timeline basically. I I do wish it was maybe one step more into a fictional world so it didn't feel like like you had um fewer references to things that are actually going on today. And that obviously there's resonances, right? It's not supposed to be like a totally fantastical world, but it, I don't, I, it feels weird to be re- like actually talking about real world political events. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think that like, I think that there are people who watch the show that have that take, um, that they were like less comfortable with the fact that it was basically set in a real world timeline. But anyway, I mean, like, Honestly, Tony Romo, the show is not super fresh for me because I watched it like three weeks ago. So I'm going to let you lead <laughs> the journey. Of for the sure. Well, and I mean, I should say, I think it it sort of is telling that three weeks later, a lot of it has faded because I think it is a sort of like very bingeable, but but bingeable, I think sort of cuts both ways. That bingeable means it's very watchable, but it also means it probably like goes down easy and then you kind of don't remember a lot of it. Totally. And yeah. so the, the, again, this, the center of the conflict is this attack on a British aircraft carrier. They suspect that the Iranians are responsible. Um, 
and in particular the prime minister of uh of the uk is very very like gung-ho like we are gonna like rain hellfire on them um i mean he seems like restrained at first but it's like he's waiting for the opportunity to kind of step out and be like yes we're gonna respond really really strongly and so the the kind of main professional or political threat of the whole season is basically figuring out who is actually responsible for this attack and also how do we calm the prime minister down so he doesn't start a war with iran absolutely yeah and he has a bit of a i don't know like he's definitely like a brexit kind of right wing um dog whistling kind of fellow it feels like um, and kind of represents that political ideology and a big part of like this, like the sub thread to that political threat is also Carrie Russell trying to figure out the true, the truest core incentives to why he actually wants to have such a ferocious retaliation because there's like an, there's like kind of an obvious layer of like, we were attacked, we should attack. I don't want to look weak. Right. right. There's kind of a layer that I think I brought up in the in one of our podcasts because it made me this show made me think about it a lot. But the relationship between the UK and the US and mm. kind of like how that flipped around over the last 250 years and how the UK really kind of like requires permission, as do many, I'm sure, of the US's allies <laughs> um, to kind of like make moves independently. Yeah. In a geopolitical situation. Um, And then there's like what's happening with him politically, domestically, that makes him want to kind of like make these moves and kind of sussing that out is difficult. And it brings to light Carrie Russell's relationship with the UK foreign secretary, who is like somewhat inscrutable for a minute there. Mm -hmm. Like it can't tell if he's like deeply loyal to the UK prime minister, if he just doesn't like her or respect her, if he's got a problem with her husband, if he really likes and respects her and is just like a closed off individual. It's like, it's pretty unclear whether or not they're acting as a team for like half the season. I mean, it's interesting because he like from the start, um, and and I think one of the things that keeps happening in the show is basically that, she, you know, again, this position that's meant to be mostly kind of symbolic and PR, like she kind of gets pulled in really, really quickly. And and kind of the first big sign of that is that the, the foreign secretary wants to meet with her. And everyone's like, what? You had like a one-on-one with the foreign secretary? Like, oh, and you were on this call with the prime minister? This is crazy. Um, and that's kind of like what a lot of the show is, is basically she ends up becoming a bigger and bigger part of it. Um, and then, you know, again, on a personal level that, that it becomes clear that she and the foreign secretary are super into each other. And there's this, in the middle of all this political stuff, there's this kind of classic rom-com scene where she goes in and basically she's trying to enlist him on this. I forget even which of her many different like schemes she's trying to enlist him on. And she's like, yeah, we're, we're like, you, you gotta know we're like a great team. And then he's like, I know, like when I'm with in the same room with you, like, I just, I can't even think I'm like overwhelmed. And like, he's talking about how he's like, so attracted to her and she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. no, that's not what I meant. Not what I meant. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And it was, I mean, yeah, it was a rough. 
it was like really over the top but also great yeah and like his indulgence right like so far from reality that even if he did feel that way truly in his soul someone in that position does not get to that position by like spilling their fucking cards all over the table instantaneously yeah and so it was kind of ridiculous that he just like let loose like that but um yeah. And and then, you know, there's an entire thread about her husband who kind of like, you know, they're we find out relatively soon, I think episode two or maybe the beginning of three that she's trying to divorce him. But having him by her side is important to people who are trying to elevate her to the office of the vice president, because obviously she has to be married if she's a worthwhile candidate. And also because he carries some, you know, it's it's gravity one way or another. You either love him or you hate him, but there's something big about him that is enough to count for, you know, a, a good chunk of points. Um, and so he is kind of always, it, it, it sounds like, her role when she was his deputy was very um, like a lot of doing the hard work and then also cleaning up his mess because he has little regard for kind of like the rules or the way to do things, which I found interesting because she also does like, <laughs> but the rules she breaks are more like justifiable to break because she's like, I don't want to wear a dress. I want to wear a pantsuit or like, mm. I don't want to do a photo shoot or an interview because I'm so serious. Right. And like, he's more like, I'm gonna like be abducted by a foreign spy so that I can have a conversation that I wouldn't be able to have otherwise. Um, I think the other difference is also that most of the time when she breaks the rules, it's because she's trying to achieve a, a basically like trying different ways to try to, um, well, at first, it's just she's like, some of this shit I don't want to do. But then it's more and more about, like, how do I actually stop this war, right? How do I, like, diffuse this situation? Like, and pretty that altruistic. Means, right. Whereas, like, with him, there's always this question of, like, what does he actually want? And, you know, for a while, it, it's like he's basically working behind the scenes to get her to get the, the VP role. Um, but then at the end of the season, there's also this question of, oh, is he also trying to make himself secretary of state? And I think there's... It, it's like a question of essentially like, can, can I, can I, Kate, trust you? Like, or are you like, what is, do you have this whole separate agenda going on that you're, you're not telling me about? And I think she's, you know, pretty much always convinced that he does have a separate agenda, which sort of seems to be the case. And then like the, when things kind of get better is when she's finally, when he can demonstrate, okay, like I'm going to like do all this shit and pull these strings, but it's all going to be in the service of what you want rather than what I want. Yeah, but like kind of doesn't also because he like in the final episode does do something that's strictly for his own agenda, which is pretty karmic based on yeah. what how the episode ends. Um, but like I have to give a lot of credit to both the writers and Rufus Sewell for the way that they like thread the needle on who the fuck this dude is because you at any given moment you could say he's super evil has his own agenda he's absolutely in love with her would do anything for her 
he is dedicated to his country and maybe breaks the rules, but in the service of doing the right thing. And it almost feels like, I mean, I think my conclusion, and again, this isn't super fresh for me, but I think I walk away from it thinking he doesn't actually know. Like that is a fluid whole that is in him as a pretty broken individual that he doesn't know how to fill it. And so he tries one way and if it doesn't work or it kind of works, he tries another way and he tries another way and he tries and he's like trying on this methodology to find inner value. Maybe I'm giving the show too much credit, but like, I think they did a really good job with that because I don't think it's easy even now fully through season one to properly nail down what it is that he truly wants. Like, I believe it when he says he's in love with her and he will forsake all for her. And I believe it when he like does something kind of underhanded to elevate himself. And I believe it when he does something that seems to be in service of the country or diplomacy and kind of like blurs the lines on it. Like I believe it every single time. And so I think he does too. And I think he doesn't have a clear, as clear of an agenda as one might think. Yeah. One other thing that I I really liked about the relationship, just because it felt different, was that there was all this tension between them but it wasn't because he was cheating on her. Um, although then there's a, a wrinkle that's added later, which is that he will definitely like get it on with other people. He just won't go a hundred percent to like se- like you know penetrative sex essentially. And it was interesting too because he basically said, "I can't." Right. Like my dick only works for my wife, which is <laughs> like, I mean, again, it makes you like look at things and you're like he fucking is in love with her. Like he is right. super in love with her. Um, Yeah. Super interesting. The whole, the whole kind of Rufus Sewell character and they cast it perfectly. He really just, he always plays a villain. I think, I don't think I've ever seen him play a good guy. And this was like kind of perfect for him because he has that kind of like villain quality about him and he does villainous things in this, but he also, you know, they, I thought they did, maybe it was a little ham handed, but I think they did a good job with this kind of motif or symbol of his love for her, where he makes his own breakfast every morning and he kind of like takes one bite of it and kind of like fusses up the eggs. And then he (laughs) starts reading the paper and leaves it because, you know, she won't actually fix her own breakfast, but she'll just like, kind of like sustain herself off of his scraps. Yeah. Um, you know, it was interesting. They did it. I think they did a really good job with a lot of this. We should talk a little bit also more about this, like VP plot. Like, so it, as we alluded to, Ridiculous. basically she's, she's being like, part of it is the idea that this ambassador role is her being tried out for VP, um, which is, is sort of mystifying. Cause you're just like, I don't, I can't think of any VP who like comes from this kind of background. Um, But the idea is that the current vice president is about to be forced to resign because of a scandal that hasn't broken in the news yet. So they have a little bit of time. How convenient. Um, And then uh, they're like, well, we're going to have to replace her, but because there's not an election coming up. And I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's also like the president is in, in his second term. So he's not going to have to run again anyway. Um, we just want somebody who's like the best person for the job. And we think it might be Carrie Russell. Yeah, I think it's like a little bit lame duck. So everything that you can do has to be geopolitical and not domestic because nothing's getting through 
domestically. Right. He's old. He's an old white man, right? She's like a young, smart uh, woman. And yeah, there's a lot, there's a much, much ado about the idea that like she would never be good at running for office, but she would be good at holding office. Um, and so maybe that works. I don't know. I don't know that the vice presidency is all that like critical. No offense, <laughs> vice presidents everywhere. Um, but maybe there's some idea that if we can get her in office on behalf of the party and she can do a good job and have a prominent role geopolitically, that even though she's shit at running for things, and even though we would probably have to like fight tooth and nail to convince her to run for something, that maybe we could get her the presidency and she would be a good president. But I just, I think the reason that I find all of this ridiculous is that like, that's not how political operators think, or at least like, I believe that political operators aren't actually thinking about the value of or like the skill of the people that it puts into political positions as much as it's thinking about like relationships and lobbyists and, you know, general fuckery. Right. How can you can, how can we hold on to power? How can we, you know, get right. our like major donors and supporters the, the wins that they need? And how can we sort of just keep this thing going, right? Yeah, keep the wheel of corruption spinning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like bringing someone who's good at the job and who is generally has like a strong moral compass, like doesn't serve that purpose at all. So it just like feels a little silly. And it's just hard to think of any, um, you know, any any situation where, where something like this has happened, at least certainly not at the presidential level. I, I do know that sometimes then when they have, you know, um, open seats like in the Senate or things like that. And sometimes, you know, it's appointed and, and, and there is sometimes this push and pull between, do we want to appoint somebody who is, who could potentially run for the seat next time and, and, and win it and hold it? Or do we want to appoint somebody who's basically just kind of do getting the job done, almost just keeping the chair warm until there's a real election. And and I do think sometimes they, they go one way or the other way, but for the vice president role, that seems like I, I'm not aware of that ever happening. I mean, maybe sometime in like yeah. the 1800s or something that, you know, I, I have forgotten from U.S. history. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't have like a ton more to say. It does end with a pretty like it, it ratchets it up all the way to 10 for the for the last episode. Don't really know where we're going with all of that. There's like three cliffhangers in one. But um, it's still a good show i'm looking forward to season two <laughs> <laughs> let's I, I think yeah let's talk a little bit more at the cliffhanger before we do though i want to touch on one other sort of political aspect which people have brought up which is the the fact that again it's this idea that iran didn't you know wasn't responsible for the attack and it, i mean it's very interesting because the, the language they use and i don't know if this is accurate to real world diplomats is very much like the language of like a tv mystery they keep being like iran didn't do it russia didn't do it and like like they're cops talking about um, a murder they're mm -hmm. trying to solve. But um, I, I think um, Roxana Haddadi at Vulture wrote this piece about how um, she's really tired of TV shows where it's about the Middle East, but like there are essentially no Middle Eastern cast members. It's, it's all about sort of white people talking about, um, mm -hmm. you know, people in Afghanistan and, and those are, they're, they're essentially there as sort of like 
they they can talk about it to make these people seem serious and noble, but we don't actually care about the real Iranians or anything like that. And I think that's a totally fair criticism of the show. I mean, I, I don't know that just have, I think if you had sort of a storyline that was set in Iran, you'd still get criticism that it was sort of just like a, a like a token Iranian character or something. But mm-hmm. I think I understand why somebody would watch this show and, and be pretty frustrated with that. Totally. And I think it also just like it kind of it exposes the writer's room a little bit on this because like the the article I was reading in Slate from the from the like policy uh, foreign affairs reporter uh, um, basically said like, you know, that basically said that the writers were confused. They were like, we're going to make it Iran. And then, no, actually, Russia was making Iran, making it look like it was Iran. And the reporter was like, well, why would Russia want their greatest ally to take the fall for something that they did? Doesn't make any sense. And she suggested that China be the boogeyman um, because that's more in vogue. And the writers were like, ah, we don't do that. Like, no one does that because so much production money comes out of China (laughs) that it's got to be. And then Russia attacked the Ukraine. So they were like, well, maybe Russia works. Um, And it just, it like kind of regardless of Roxana's point, which I agree with. And I think that that's a little bit tiresome. There's also just like, do we know what is actually happening? (laughs) Do we know, do we, do we understand what's going on? And, to be fair, I think they did some research around the idea of like the Russian military versus the Russian intelligence versus Russian kind of like criminals, mercenaries, and m- militia, etc. And like kind of tried to weave a, a tapestry that was a little bit more complex. But ultimately, yeah, uh, it's just a little it's like we've got Carrie Russell and we've got Rufus and we want to do a political thriller. So like, let's just throw some fucking ingredients in the soup pot and see what comes out, you know? <laughs> so what does actually come out is that it turns out, uh, Trowbridge, the prime minister, who's been kind of, uh, banging the drum for, for war the whole time at the end of the, of the season finale, uh, Kate and Dennison realize, Oh my God, like the only reason things could have happened the way they've happened. And and why, particularly why is Trowbridge now trying to get the head of the mercenary group responsible for the attack killed rather than arrested? Because then we'll never know who actually hired the mercenary group. Well, the reason you do that is because you're the one who actually hired them, um, which isn't, we don't, we don't know for sure that that's what happened, but it seems like that seems to be very much the direction the show is pointing us in, which is, both ridiculous, but but also very satisfying. You're like, okay, I, li- I like this rather than just being like, oh, Russia's the bad guy. Iran's the bad guy. This is like crazy enough that I'm into it. It's like political corruption. Yeah, it feels a little bit more um, in its lane. Yeah. And then at the same time as that is revealed, literally seconds later, all these cars pull up and it's because while Kate has been away trying to get basically get France to to arrest the leader of the mercenaries. Um, Hal has been um, kind of filling in for her, gave this speech and then got made this contact. And so he and the deputy chief of mission 
are like kind of converging on this car on the street in in London. Um, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. It's just it's staged in a way that makes it very dramatic. And then the car explodes. End of season, essentially. Like we yeah. don't know what and- happened. And we think that also husband was trying to maybe maneuver on behalf of himself in that moment. And that deputy chief of mission was trying to keep him from doing that. And yeah. And then obviously they probably both get hurt, but are probably both alive would be my guess. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I thought, you know, I I feel like definitely there's no way they're going to kill off both of these characters. I think there's essentially no way they kill off how, it seems pretty unlikely they'd kill off Stuart too. So he's who, who is the deputy chief of mission. I, yeah, I think the plot armor is thick with those two. So, and to be fair to the show, I mean, it's staged in a way where like, it doesn't really look like either. I mean, I would not like, it looked like really scary, but like also neither of them looked like they were actually like close enough to be killed by the, blast. yeah, they're just far enough away for you to be like, Oh, maybe they're dead. Right. <laughs> Which is what you're supposed to think. <laughs> I assume that you're probably going to just get some scenes of Kate looking very concerned at the hospital. Yep. Yep. I, yeah. And I don't know where season two goes. I mean, I guess we're going to fight with the UK and she's going to become president. I don't know who, who knows, but uh, like I said, I consumed it voraciously. I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was all good fun. Yeah. I mean, the last comparison actually I would make is, to the newsroom which is another show that i mean another aaron sorkin show this is not but you know like the west wing um and also like a lot of stuff ripped from real world headlines kind of silly and almost dumb at times but just really really fun and i think a lot of the fun is just seeing people who are really good at their jobs like people who are just like yelling intensely on their cell phones and you know like looking up key pieces of information at the last minute and that sort of like I think the phrase that other people have used is competence porn. And I and I and I have a real soft spot for competence porn and recommend it for that reason. Yeah, I've never heard that term before, but I do love that. And now that I think of it as a framework, there are many, many things that I like in that genre. Um, and I think that this fits perfectly. And I saw a really funny clip from Newsroom. I haven't watched Newsroom in so long, but I saw a really funny clip about the guy from the EPA coming on and being like, yeah, no, we're like super dead. Like it's too late. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, well, people are going away for the weekend. Like maybe we could leave them with something more upbeat. Uh, what What's like a metaphor for what you're talking about? It's like, you know, okay, so you're in a car in your garage and the car is on. And the whatever the main guy is, the host is like, yeah, but like someone gets there in time. It's like, no, no one can get there in time. Like the they needed to come 20 years ago. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> the host is like i don't know he's like looking at his producer like, i don't know what to do and then the producer's like you need to vamp for another 10 minutes <laughs> it's a great clip but there are a lot of like sick ass little scenes in in newsroom so if you haven't seen that you should watch yes. that as well HBO. the newsroom is a really fun show to watch in clips when you watch it multiple episodes at a time it's really infuriating and dumb i would say yeah, yeah. It just like is doing too much too frequently. It yeah. like definitely was it was a show that aired once a week. And you can tell like shows that aired once a week uh are really meant to be watched that way with some breaks. Otherwise you get like inundated and numbed. Very samey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
if you have thoughts on the first season of The Diplomat, um, and there will be, Netflix has confirmed there will be a second season, you should shoot us an email, originalcontentpod at gmail.com. That's originalcontentpod at gmail.com. We're also at Original Content on Twitter, and we always appreciate it when you subscribe and leave us a positive review in Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choosing. Thank you so much for listening. Jordan, I'll talk to you next week. Later. Daryl, you're dead to us. Fuck you, Daryl.